This week's book is one that I have thought a lot about over the years, and I'm not even sure I know why. In fact, I couldn't remember anything about the plot, and when my copy showed up in the mail in advance of this episode, I was kind of like, uh, what? The good news is that my reaction was not foreshadowing some big disappointment. I still really enjoyed the book, and I especially enjoyed talking about it with my guest. First, let's get to the book, Bloomability by Sharon Creech. Bloomability was published in 1998. It combines many storytelling elements that I loved as a kid and still love to this day. Travel, boarding school, and a fresh, fun, big cast of characters. Our main character is a girl named Dinny, who has grown used to following her father's whims on a roughly annual basis. Dinny's dad is always chasing what he confidently calls opportunities, so the family has done a lot of moving around. When Dinny's parents become overwhelmed with her older siblings' increasingly complicated circumstances, they set her up with her own opportunity, a year at a Swiss boarding school with her Aunt Sandy and Uncle Max. Uncle Max has recently taken over as headmaster at the school, so the whole thing seems kind of perfect. All of this is really a big opportunity for Dinny. But as the book progresses, we can't help but identify some cracks in the relationship with her family back home, who seem to have little to no interest in keeping in touch. At the same time, we see Dinny begin to build relationships with her international classmates and to learn more about herself. As you can probably already imagine from this brief description, there is a lot to mine in Bloomability, and we will cover it all on today's episode, paying extra attention to dysfunctional families, making friends with difficult personalities, and the timeless quality of Sharon Creech's work. Today, I am excited to introduce you to Caitlin Hill. Caitlin is a writer, reader, and sweet tea enthusiast who believes that all the world is not, in fact, a stage, but a romance novel waiting to happen. She is the author of Love from Scratch and Not Here to Stay Friends. Find her on Twitter and Instagram at thecaitlinhill and at thecaitlinhill.com. Let's also take a moment to talk about where you can find SSR online. We are at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. I feel like I don't take enough opportunities to plug the podcast website, where you can find so many goodies. Book recommendations from our guests, links to interesting resources about the books we talk about on the show, our SSR merch shop, and so much more. Check it out at www.ssrpodcast.com. The SSR website is also an easy way to find our Patreon. When you tap support at the top of the page at www.ssrpodcast.com, you will be whisked away to that extra special little corner of the SSR community where, for as little as $1 per month, you can help keep the pod going strong in exchange for exclusive perks. You can also get there at the link in SSR's Instagram bio or by going to www.patreon.com SSRpodcast. Depending on the tier you choose, you will get things like an invite to the SSR Discord channel, access to weekly bonus Q&As with guests like Caitlin, monthly newsletters, bonus episodes, reading recap videos, and an invitation to the SWR, that's Shit We Read, book club. This week in SWR, we kick off the month-long conversation about our June read, All This Could Be Different. We would love to have you along. This episode is brought to you by the AHK Writing Community. I started the AHK Writing Community last year in hopes of connecting aspiring fiction writers and sharing what I learned in my MFA program. Whether you think writing short stories could be a fun hobby, or you've already written half of a novel, you are welcome in this group. I offer accountability, workshopping, prompts, writing advice, sharing challenges, and lots of writing discussion. 
Twice a month, we also have writing office hours in which members are invited to join in for virtual co-working sessions to stay on top of their creative goals. Check it out at www.patreon.com slash ahkwriters and feel free to send me a DM if you have any questions. I can't wait to meet you and to read your work. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome to SSR. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am personally so grateful to you for choosing Bloomability because I'm pretty sure I've been sneaking this one into the guest options for like probably the better part of the last three or four years. (laughs) I'm a big Sharon Creech fan. And for some reason, Bloomability has like really stuck with me. And maybe it's the title is so fun, but I've been hoping to do this one for a long time. So selfishly, I'm really glad that you chose it. And I'd love to get things started by just hearing a little bit about why you chose it. If you were a Sharon Creech fan when you were a kid, if you were a Bloomability fan, more specifically, tell me everything. Right. Yeah. No, I was excited to see it on the options. I definitely, like, I don't recall reading this one specifically when I was a kid, but I was a big Sharon Creech fan, and, like, formative reads in my memory are Walk Two Moons and Ruby Holler and Love That Dog. Like, she has so many just classics from my childhood, and I remember, like, knowing about Bloomability, but I don't think I ever read it. And I love a boarding school book, (laughs) like, always have. Yes. And so that was a big draw of it, but also... Well, I was thinking I love a boarding school book. I also love the Switzerland setting. Kind of comically, the first book that I ever queried was a Swiss boarding school book. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, we need to talk. I feel like this is like a whole other line of inquiry that we need to get to. That's what a small world. Of course, I had no idea. I mean, I didn't realize. I'd like forgotten that that was what bloomability, like the whole thing of bloomability. Um, So that was funny to rediscover because I was like, wow, that sounds familiar. Like maybe it just planted itself somewhere deep in my consciousness and that led to me I don't even know probably not but that book is never going to see the light my book is never going to see the light of day my Swiss boarding school book but (laughs) it was really fun to see someone else do it a lot better than I had in my early writing days (laughs) well I did get a few dms from people when I posted a photo of this book who were like this book made me want to go to, to boarding school in Switzerland, right. like very specific. And I didn't, even though I like this book for some reason looms so large in my memory, I didn't remember anything about it. And when my copy showed up in the mail, this cover is really different than the cover that I had when I was a kid. I seem to remember a cover that was like really colorful with lots of flowers. Like they yeah. really leaned into this idea of blooming more so than, I don't know what cover you have, but I'm showing I'm showing it on my screen and it's really dark. Um, it has yeah. this more like broody feeling. It has the Swiss Alps in the background and the boarding school itself. And so when it came, I was like, 
is this not the right. book that I remember? But clearly people in our community were like, oh no, like Switzerland, boarding <laughs> school, I was ready to go. <laughs> Everybody knew from deep down what it was about. Yeah. I remember the cover The like when I looked it up first, what came up was the pastel like yellow cover with flowers and stuff and I remembered that one but then when I was ordering my copy I was obnoxious and like saw an alternate cover that I think was the UK version that I thought was really cute so I like went and did like used a books or no I think I did thrift books I love thrift books shout out to thrift yes we love them and so (laughs) sought out my specific cover I liked the best and got it but it's really cute too it's kind of like word arty yeah I like your cover way how do you feel about my (laughs) I I thought it was interesting I couldn't really tell what was happening when I saw that cover because it does look kind of dark and broody the girl looking out at the school presumably yeah but I think it was like it looked to me like they did a whole cohesive like Sharon Creech redesign of all her books that are like supposed to be I don't know look similar because they all had the same font and kind of similar darker colors and I don't know it it doesn't evoke quite the feelings that this book gave I don't know yeah it's not my Sharon Creech yeah it's this is a new Sharon Creech I will say listeners for those who don't know, we have covered both Walk Two Moons and Chasing Redbird, two of Sharon Creech's other books, and I will make sure that I link both of those in the show notes, and I'll post them on SSR's Instagram stories this week so you can tune into them. I will say Walk Two Moons totally held up. Chasing Redbird, I remember loving, and it sort of was not, it didn't live up to my expectations of it when I reread it. I'm happy to say that Bloomability did, and like I said, I had this kind of weird moment when the book came in and I saw the cover. I was like, I don't know why I've been so excited to read this book. Maybe <laughs> I was wrong. But after I read it, I was like, okay, now I remember. Yeah. It was so great. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wanted to start by sharing a line from the Kirkus review of this book, which came out in 1998. And the opening line of this review reads as follows. Creech plies the threads of love and loss, separation and belonging into another deeply felt novel. While it is no sin for a writer to repeatedly explore such themes, a certain sameness is descending upon her books. <laughs> harsh <laughs> I will say that the reviewer goes on to write some really nice things about the book but like harsh and this is Sharon Creature talking about so like chill out mm-hmm. but <laughs> I thought that was a good place to start because it speaks to some of the bigger themes of this book but also the themes that this author explores time and time again in all of her novels and I think there's probably a larger conversation to be had and we can have it if you'd like about whether or not it's okay to like continue to come back to the same themes. I happen to think especially with kids books like kids books are so evergreen teen books are so evergreen that's the cool thing about this category of publishing is that there are always new readers coming up and finding these books so there's not really any harm in exploring timeless ideas but yeah I mean what are your thoughts on that beginning to a review? I agree and I think like As I was reading this, I kept thinking that it just feels pretty timeless. I was surprised at how much, like, it did not feel dated to me. And, I mean, there's certain things, like, yeah, specific details that are funny that you could nitpick. But, like, I feel like I would read it as a kid nowadays and still have a really similar experience as what I would back when I was actually a kid, when I was not long after this book came out. Yeah, I I think she explores things that kids are always going to be dealing with like difficult family situations and like trying to figure out where you belong and navigating 
complicated friendships with different personalities and all of that. Like all of that is going to be something kids experience every decade, every generation. So yeah, I I kind of, I don't know, I lost the thread of what even the Kirkus Review said, but... <laughs> They're wrong. Yeah. I Bottom mean, line, it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's been forever since I've read any of Sharon Creech's other books. So this was like, felt like returning to it, her work for the first time almost. I mean, felt like finding her work for the first time because it's just been so long since I've read any others. So to me, it was like a novel experience. I haven't read her doing this over and over again. No pun intended, novel experience. Pun kind of intended, <laughs> but... <laughs> it works. So yeah, I I wouldn't have really seen it that way. I think it's funny too, because like, I don't know. I think a lot of kid lit and like YA, middle grade, whatever, there are trends that come and go and everyone's always like hopping on or you're like supposed to hop on the trends like editors and publishing houses look for things that have comp titles that are relevant and so like it's always kind of a conversation that you're trying to do something fresh but also doing something that is proven to work um, and is marketable and publishers will want it so I don't know it was working for Sharon Creech then and continues to work for her I think um <laughs> But yeah, I feel I feel like that criticism could apply to a lot of authors and books because we're all kind of repeating a lot of the same ideas and themes over and over again. <laughs> it's interesting that you talk about that business side of it because it's so true. And I think readers like often like lose sight of the fact that like this is a business. And so writers like do what they're good at. It's not just about doing what they enjoy, although I'm sure Sharon Creech enjoyed writing this book because she found that this was her niche. But like, I don't know. I think there's a whole business side to this. And listeners know I'm querying my first novel right now. And like like you were saying, it's this hard balance between, you know, when I talk to agents about the book, it's like, this is a book that has similar things to other things that are working, but also you've never seen it right. before. Like it's a really impossible balance to strike. And so Kirkus reviewer of Bloomability in the year 1998, <laughs> if you happen to be listening to this episode, please cut Sharon Creech some slack because- <laughs> She is just trying to give the people what they want. And she gave me what I wanted. True. And yeah, I think the kid versions of ourselves would agree too. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Dinny, who is the main character of this book. She's 13 years old when we meet her. And she has kind of this semi-nomadic lifestyle. At the age of 13, she's already lived in 12 different cities. And it's because her father keeps taking new jobs and opportunities <laughs> opportunities exactly and I was sort of fascinated by him and I think maybe we can detour with him a little bit because as a kid I feel like I probably didn't appreciate what an interesting character he is mm -hmm. and I wonder how much Sharon Creech and writing his character was winking at adults that might be reading this book alongside their students or alongside their own children because this notion of like a guy who's always looking for a new opportunity and phrases it that way as a method to like convince his family to just like keep going, like yeah. keep taking the new opportunities. That's a real thing. We've all met somebody who is like that to yes. some degree. And I totally would not have read into that at all when I was reading <laughs> this when I was nine or 10. Yeah, no, I thought the same thing. Like right off the bat, you get such a good 
characterization of her dad, her mom, her brother and sister, like so fast, you really get a full picture of her family situation that then is like fleshed out more as the book goes on. But like, I felt like I understood a lot of it really quickly just by in very few words, she's able to get that across like who her dad is. And I also thought that's like a person that we all can recognize and have known whether family or acquaintance or whatever like person that's always kind of chasing the next opportunity and maybe is a little selfish in those pursuits and how that affects the kids and the wife and whoever yeah I thought it was really interesting and I also think that it was totally something that I would have read so different as a kid and like I would have read it very similar to how Denny perceives it she kind of has a very like she's 13 but she still has a very childlike mindset of like not seeing her parents as super faults like having a lot of faults your parents are still kind of infallible at that point and like you just blindly trust that they love you and have your best interests at heart in many cases I not every kid but she's just like yep and then we got a new opportunity and we went moved to New Mexico and then this opportunity took us here and like she talks about how it is hard moving schools and uprooting her life but kind of just rolls with it and yeah in ways that like she never seems I thought that was something that I I mean this we'll get into this later in the book but I feel like she never seems to fully like turn on the parents and be like, like come to any realization about like, actually, I don't like the way we live when I'm with them. And actually, they kind of have not been the most attentive. Yeah, caring parents this whole time, like she, she doesn't fully interrogate that ever. And I'm I kept I kept thinking like, Jenny, in a decade or two, will be sitting in therapy, unpacking all of this (laughs) like the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll be like, actually, looking back, my parents did ignore me that whole year I was in Switzerland, like whatever. But yeah, it it is so interesting reading it as an adult and seeing what Sharon Creech is doing in ways that I don't think I would have as a kid. Yeah, I I think that her experience in taking in the way her parents live their lives, it really captures the blind trust Mm -hmm. that if you're lucky enough to be part of a family in which you feel safe and comfortable, you have in your parents or your other guardians until they prove otherwise, you know, like, yeah, she is like, oh, yes, like, this is just what we do. It's a new opportunity. And also, it just shows how we adopt the language and the viewpoints of our our parents and we don't question it like Denny never really fully questions it like you said Caitlin like she is really hanging on to the vocabulary that they've given her to explain the world around her even when it's hard and even when we as readers know that it doesn't actually make sense and even when we can see that something is not quite right I actually am am thinking more as we talk about Denny's parents about Little House on the Prairie and There are a lot of issues with Little House on the Prairie, which we have talked about in the episodes about those books. So I would encourage you to go listen to those listeners. But we've had some really nuanced conversations about Pa Mm -hmm. and how when I was a kid, partially influenced by the TV show and just like how heroic he seemed in all of his different renderings and also the fact that like I have a girl dad and I just always had this like very this very romantic view of Pa that I think mirrored Laura's own viewpoint of Pa and when you come back to the books as an adult 
and you try to put yourself in the shoes of Ma, who is like literally just like being dragged <laughs> all around the country and literally across the country, uh, literally across the country. And there's one episode in particular, I forget which one it was, but we were kind of joking about what it would be like if you were Ma's parents <laughs> and how annoying it would be and you know these are like very young people when they're getting married and so if your like 20 year old daughter just married this guy who is now selling her on this dream and leaving everything they know behind in this very patriarchal context in which these people lived like as parents you would be really pissed off and you'd be really concerned yeah that your daughter had just married this guy who was off seeking as Denny's dad calls them opportunities like Mm -hmm. I just think the lens changes and for better or worse, like when you're a kid, you can look at people like this and it's so romantic and it's so exciting. It even reminds me of the book, The Glass Castle, which is like Mm -hmm. my all-time favorite memoir. And then when you're an adult and you're able to analyze it a little bit differently, you're like, there's something, there's, there's something being missed in the way that these people are guiding their families. Not to say that they're bad parents because there is love in these families. And I I do think that these parents are doing the best that they know how, Mm -hmm. but we as adult readers can still step back and sort of see like maybe this like heroic bigger than life thing is a little bit misplaced. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with all of that. And I thought it was interesting little hints you would get as to how other people felt about her parents through Denny's eyes. Because Denny, yeah, like we said, does kind of just still idealize, idolize, romanticize, whatever, her parents. Right. And But she'll comment on little things like her dad and her grandma, the Italian grandma, her mom's mom, not getting along or her dad not liking the grandma and that probably being mutual. And just little like winks at what other people think about this other adults in her life think about this that she hasn't fully put together like oh that's because my mom and dad are kind of chaotic and not doing the best things for us always and the like letters from her aunts that will say things like your dad is like like they'll talk about whatever we didn't ever fully find out like what the ants were hinting at in their letters about right. what the dad was working <laughs> towards. But yeah, all of that was so interesting. And I think also like it kind of gets into how Denny ends up going with Max and Sandy in the first place. Like I wondered a lot about like what that conversation between Diddy's parents or her mom and her aunt and uncle was like when they were like, here's a good idea. You should take her to the Swiss boarding school with you. Like how on earth did that even like kind of come to be? We don't fully find out like whose idea exactly was it, how it went down. And it ends up changing her whole life, obviously, and being the whole trajectory of the the book. Yeah, I had those questions too. And I was like sharing Creech conveniently, just like put that off the page. <laughs> I, like, hmm, I wonder how that all went down, like who initiated it. Honestly, I relate. If there's something in a plot that I just like find too complicated to explain, I'm like, mm, what if I can just not acknowledge that? And sometimes you get away with it and sometimes you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! Like yeah. she's going to boarding school. Just don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. The book opens with Denny reflecting on these two parts of her life. And it starts like this. In my first life, I lived with my mother and my older brother and sister, Crick and Stella, and with my father when he wasn't on the road. So her first life is centered around the things that we're already talking about. Her father, who's chasing all these opportunities, and the rest of the family who just kind of follows him. She has these siblings. 
And the catalyst for the second part of her life in which she goes with Uncle Max and Aunt Sandy to the boarding school is her older sister, Stella, getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. So her sister is 16 and it all happens very quickly narratively, which mirrors, of course, how I'm sure it would feel to to a kid like Dinny, where like all of these things are happening around you and you're not quite sure. She's a little confused. Basically, her sister gets pregnant with an older boyfriend. They end up getting married. She has a baby. At the same time, there are hints to her older brother Crick's bad behavior. He's in and out of trouble all the time. And it just it leaves this impression that Dinny's parents are like they can't handle anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they're dealing with a son who can't get his shit together. They're dealing with a daughter who now has taken on a new responsibility of being a mom when she's 16 and not prepared for it. Yeah. And apparently one thing leads to another and now she's off to boarding school with her aunt and uncle. And I think this is where we as adults can look at the situation critically and be like, was this really the only approach? And Uh there's the romantic notion of like, yes, you get to go to boarding school and it is a great opportunity. And I'm sure when I was a kid, I was like, yes, I would totally want to be Denny, the one who was sent to boarding school. Why is she upset about it? (laughs) Why are you upset? But now I'm like, I just think there might've been some like other options. Yeah, (laughs) right. Like this does seem like kind of a last resort situation, but sure. I wondered if it was like, honestly, her mom's sister, Aunt Sandy, who was like, I think that's how they're connected. Yeah, I think so. Who was just hearing about all of this and was like, oh my God, everything, like uh, their older two kids are just like falling into chaos in various ways, but there's still hope for Denny. So while like her parents are dealing with all this, what if we try to do what we can for Denny and like step in? Because they don't have kids and like they're just like seeing where she could go in through her like older brother and sister getting into just different complicated situations but they're like Denny's only 13 and there's still time for her so what if we like try to break her out and give her this like open up her world and that's what they do but she boy is she upset about it at first and I love like oh my gosh it like tore my heart out slash just I related very hard and loved it when she says something I have it highlighted about like wanting to be how everyone talks about how adaptable she is her mom's like telling it Sandy that she's so adaptable and she's like I think I want to be less adaptable I think I should start being less adaptable I loved that that just like hit so hard I am not like the Denny of my family or anything but (laughs) my parents who are listening to this are like dear god what is she about to say (laughs) but no like I have five siblings and I had like an older sister it was just my older sister and me for eight years and then I got four younger brothers pretty quickly like half brothers so I was the baby of the family and then suddenly I was totally not over a short span of time was like deeply middle child like still kind of like youngest of the older siblings but very much like a little tiny kids take so much time and care and attention and so my sister's off doing her oldest kid thing the little kids are occupying so much energy and gosh like just their baby and toddler years were so much and yeah just like preteen Caitlin would kind of float and like in ways that 
are not the same as Denny by any means, but we're, we're so like relatable to think back to my middle, early high school self being like, yeah, like I am just the easygoing, like we'll roll with whatever because what else am I going to do? <laughs> um, and sometimes you do want to be less adaptable. You don't want it to be taken for granted that you'll just roll with whatever's happening. And fortunately, that was never like super taken advantage of by my family. But Denny is dragged all over the country and is not really getting to like form any roots anywhere and kind of figure out who she is in many ways until she gets a year to do something different and be a little more stable somewhere, I guess. Well, we should talk because <laughs> we probably share some similar experiences yeah. in that I was the only child for six years. My parents got divorced when I was very young. Me too. I've talked about on the podcast before. So like I my parents know that I talk about this stuff. <laughs> I've listened to plenty of episodes and am also, yeah, I've, I've, from things I picked up, I'm like, wow, we do have similar backgrounds in different ways. We'll have a group therapy session after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we really should. And Denny can join uh, uh-huh. in her 30-something version. So yeah, I was an only child for six years. And then I got three sisters in a short period of time. And I adore them. And I adored them then. And there was also something complicated about being in one home and still being an only child and then being in another home and being an older sister that had assumed some responsibility for helping and also kind of like knowing when to step back. And I think because I was six, seven, eight, nine, and then also I've always just been an observer. I've always been a reader and a writer. Like it was very obvious to me, like what my role was to play in each of these situations. Thank you, therapy. Yeah. And so I, I think if I have one regret, like I wish that I had been a little bit less adaptable because I think it maybe would have saved me some trouble all these years later of like unpacking some of that. And I see that for Jenny. I think if I put my writer hat on, if there's one like question I have for Sharon Creech, and I wonder if you felt this way, Caitlin, it's like, I wish that I had a clearer picture of who Denny was. And maybe mm-hmm. that's the point. I don't know. Like maybe maybe we're meant to see that Denny doesn't really know who she is. But I really like what you said about how her parents see this opportunity for her to kind of like get out of the situations that her siblings have found themselves in. And I guess it just would have been interesting to me if we'd had a little bit more like context for why they felt that way. Like, I just wanted to know more about Denny. Like, was she yeah. this, like, incredibly precocious child? Did she show a different level of academic promise? Was she more social? Like, she was such a blank canvas when she arrived in Switzerland, which, of course, opened opportunities for Sharon Creech to explore that storyline so much more. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like I didn't know her very well. Yeah, I definitely agree. And also think, I don't know, it seemed probably like an intentional choice to me just in making her character again so adaptable she is just like a like sponge absorbing everything around her as opposed to like creating anything on her own and like creating her own life and personality and stuff she is just like rolling with what everything everything everyone else throws at her but yeah you don't really know who she is I feel like she doesn't really know who she is even even kind of by the end she's still very much figuring it out which is very realistic for a 13 year old but yeah it It is interesting and I could see, yeah, I mean, I didn't feel this way, but as I am now someone who is like 
quite aware of how readers respond to different things in books. I could totally see, well, I don't know how the middle grade readers are versus like YA readers, but I could totally see like YA readers, adults who read YA or whatever being like, why was she so like passive? Why does she just like let everything happen to her and doesn't have her own like personality and stuff like that? But yeah, I I don't know. I did think it was interesting. And and there's so much that happens in the book. Like we have barely even scratched the surface of like the whole what is it be- now we have to get into what it. even happens in her year abroad. But like, yeah, you get so much just by her being such a little sponge and observing everything around her. And it it is interesting. You don't often see a main character who is so, so blank canvas. Yeah, I do think there's something too in middle grade. And I've seen it a little bit in YA too, older YA that I've read for the show of leaving space for readers to really envision themselves mm, yeah, following the main character's path. And so maybe that's a little bit what Sharon Creech was trying to do. But let's talk about Dinny's big yeah. opportunity, which is to move to Switzerland. She has fully convinced herself that this is a new opportunity, an exciting opportunity. She says it over and over and over again. And it's because that's the language that she's been raised on to describe all of these other moves that, that she and her family have made. So she and Uncle Max and Aunt Sandy go to Switzerland. Uncle Max has been offered a job as the headmaster of this American school in Switzerland. I learned that Sharon Creech actually taught English at an American school in Switzerland, which inspired this book. And I thought that was pretty cool. Same. It was like in the about the author at the back of my copy. I I thought was cool. You don't often get in the back of a book, the exact inspiration for the book laid out there for you. Yeah. I mean, so cool that she did that. And what a great place to find inspiration for writing. And at first, Denny is really not happy about this second life that she has. She, in learning to speak Italian and write Italian, she is determined to figure out how to communicate that she's been kidnapped. (laughs) Um, And so she writes these different signs that she thinks say that, like, I've been kidnapped, like, come help me. And they never actually say that because she is struggling. It was so funny. That was so funny. Like, one of the funnier parts of the book is Aunt Sandy and Uncle Max being like, did you mean for the sign to say help or like come on in because you're like you want to invite robbers into the house is that what you meant to say and she's like no it's supposed to be a cry for help why aren't you mad uncle max and aunt sandy are great like they are just sort of the ideal non-parent adults yes support figures that i think every kid wants to have i agree and as we were talking so much about just like denny's complicated difficult parents i was impressed and like fascinated by how Uncle Max and Aunt Sandy never like put down her parents like to Denny. They never try to um, influence her opinion of them at all, no matter what they think of the parents. And you know that Uncle Max and Aunt Sandy have opinions about people because you're always getting their opinions about the kids and parents at the school. But they never like just should talk Denny's parents when they totally could <laughs> and totally could try to like tease that out of her more and make her deal with her feelings about them more they just let her feel how she's gonna feel and say they're there if she wants to talk about it and stuff after she has difficult phone calls with them or letters or anything but yeah they were so good in terms of just supportive caretakers not over like helicoptery but very much there for her more than her parents have been in the past There's a lot in the book about her struggling to learn the language, about her 
sort of absorbing all of these different cultures and meeting kids that are way different than the kids that she's ever been exposed to at home. And I think it's interesting because like she probably felt so like worldly, like showing up at the school. She lived in 12 cities by the time she's 13. Like she knows everything, which is like a very American mindset, I think. But then to be like, oh no, once you leave the country, it doesn't really matter how many cities you've lived in. You might know quite a bit about America, but you're going to meet people from literally all over the world they're going to speak different languages and have different belief systems and eat different foods. And they're all going to have something to teach you. So I thought that was really interesting. We, of course, have to call out a few of the friends she makes. And I think we should start with Lila because Lila is a really juicy character. And I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about her. Yes. Lila is like, she's the the friend that I think every new kid at school wants to have because she seems really cool. And if she talks to you you're like, okay, great. Everything's going to be fine. Like I'm going to make friends here. Even if I feel like a fish out of water, if somebody like Lila is talking to me, it means that I'm not that awkward. But things with Lila get really complicated because of Dinny's position as Uncle Max and Aunt Sandy's niece. She is not living in the dorms of this boarding school. She's living with her aunt and uncle. And so the fact that she is sort of present for all of the behind the scenes drama of the students makes things difficult. And Lila has quite a bit of drama because she's a huge complainer. Yeah. She comes from what appears to be a very wealthy, privileged background and nothing that's happening at the school is good enough. And she's constantly threatening to leave and driving Uncle Max crazy. Like that's the only way to put it. He cannot figure out how to make this kid happy. And it's difficult for him that Denny and Lila have become friends. Like Nobody knows how to handle this. And I just thought that that was a really smart dynamic because it forces Dinny to think about like how she wants to position herself relative to all of these other characters. Lila is obviously so different than anybody that she knew back home. She's probably never met anybody with this kind of privilege. Yeah. And she has to decide like how loyal she wants to be to a friend, even when she can see that according to the morals and the standards that her own family is setting, Lila isn't necessarily like the ideal friend for her to have. Yeah, I thought her feelings about Lila and how they just went up and down throughout the book was so interesting and so real to like being 13 and figuring out, yeah, like navigating a just difficult personality for maybe the first time that you're realizing and also not necessarily realizing it at first how difficult she is and like you think she's cool and like she's not afraid to say what she thinks even if she's wrong is like something Denny says and like didn't seem to care if she had friends or not. Lila is not adaptable. No. Like, let's be clear. Not adaptable. No, has no interest in being adaptable. Right. Which it, yeah that is something I, I didn't necessarily think about that but that's so true and like she's sort of just like a foil to Denny in English class terms of like making it clear how not what what it is like to be at the opposite end of the spectrum of like flexible and go with the flow. Lila is never going with the flow up until the very end. She just is doing exactly what she wants and trying to make everyone else adapt to her. She was a funny one. And, and I thought it was interesting how you don't get a lot of like outright judgment from Denny. But the way Lila's presented definitely just leaves it up for the reader to still know, yeah, this is like a girl we don't necessarily like. And what she's doing is like not great. And what she says is not great because Lila does say some like problematic things. But it's pretty clear that that, that it 
is problematic. She's not someone you want to emulate. And even as Denny's not making many like value judgments on her. There's this implication based on things that Aunt Sandy says and a few like little comments from Lila that a lot of what's happening with her is a trickle down effect from what happens with her parents who are even more high maintenance. And so I think through that, Sharon Creech is suggesting a little bit of empathy, Mm -hmm. you know, like as kids, we all have to learn to respect the place where the people around us come from. And that doesn't necessarily make their behavior right, but it does make it a little bit easier for us to understand um, their behavior. And so I think that's an interesting tactic. But yeah, it's very complicated, especially because Lila's feelings about everything are complicated throughout. Like she doesn't want to be at the school and then she leaves the school and then suddenly she's back. Like she's all over the place. Mm -hmm. There's also Guthrie who is Denny's first friend. And he's just this like really (laughs) sweet, nice boy. Yeah. While Lila is the kind of friend that every new kid like hopes to have when they arrive at a new school. Guthrie is the kind of friend that I think every new kid like should have and the kind of friend that any like adult who cares about a new kid at at school would like hope that that kid would find. Like Guthrie is sweet and he's a little spontaneous and just fun loving, but he's just very open and friendly to Dinny. Yeah. And I think he gets her to put herself out there a little more just by proximity to him, like drags her into talking to more people and going to things that she maybe wouldn't otherwise ski trips and stuff and yeah he was an adorable character and the way he talks is so funny <laughs> he's like it's such the best yeah but yeah he he was really cute and I liked their very there's like an innocent kind of affection like you kind of get glimpses of Denny kind of having a crush on him but it's still pretty platonic through and through and like just a deep friendship and appreciating each other for who they are and it's very sweet and wholesome based on the way their relationship is portrayed on the page it's easy to see a future in which if Denny and Guthrie get to stay in the same school through high school they end up having like a really lovely relationship going to the prom together totally there's a very cute YA romance in there yes there really is so Guthrie is great quick shout out to Keisuke who is a Japanese student that Denny meets who is the inspiration for the title of this book Bloomability because as he is learning both Italian and English so that he can communicate with the other students at the school he is kind of developing his own vocabulary and he has an interesting way of describing things and instead of using the word possible he uses the word bloomable um, which I love and I would kind of like to employ in my own life. Yes. And so yeah Denny references a lot of Keisuke's words and I, I think bloomability was the perfect one to choose yeah. for the title. We referred to this a little bit when we were talking about Denny's parents but things between Denny and her parents somehow get even more complicated when Denny is away from home. And it's heartbreaking to read this as an adult because you see the cracks in her family and you also see like the hopefulness in Denny where she's like, oh, they miss me. Like they can't wait to talk to me. Yeah. And she makes all kinds of excuses for them. And maybe those excuses are valid. Like maybe there's a reason that they're not calling. Maybe there's a reason that they don't write and that when they do write, the letters are really short. And those things could all be true. But 
I guess, like the challenge of coming back to these books as an adult, and I've had to learn this over and over again over the years, is that you see through a lot of those things. And I can't help but be like, no, Denny, like your parents are kind of just being shitty. Right. You like want to kind of shake her sometimes and be like, you're allowed to be upset about this. Like you're allowed to be mad at them for not reaching out, not sending you like things on Christmas or various things that happen throughout where she's like gives them so much grace and benefit of the doubt. And some of which is like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Like international shipping takes a long time and like international calls in 1999 are expensive. That's one thing that I did think about, like if this book happened today, was set today, it would be so much less excusable for them to be so out of contact, like with the internet and everything, there would be no like excuse for not reaching out for weeks to months at a time to go days with without talking would be kind of like bizarre and concerning in today's world (laughs) yeah for sure and denny is constantly thinking about her family especially right after the move like she comes back to these moments with like just imagining what they're doing while she's in switzerland there are also these um sort of dream journal entries throughout the book Yeah, that I have to say I was like less interested in this time around. I'm not sure what that's about. Like I found I found myself skimming over them. (laughs) I feel like I would have loved them as a kid. And that makes me sad. I feel like I like lost my child (laughs) about that kind of thing. But she dreams about her family back home. And a lot of what she's dreaming about is like mirroring in certain ways what's happening in real life. And we can see her homesickness through her dreams. And it's just really sad that there isn't more effort made, even just to include her in what's going on back home. Yeah, and you get the sense when she does talk to them of just like, things are as chaotic as ever. Like, it's just as stressful as you'd expect with a teenage mom to a new baby. And they're moving a couple times throughout the year. And her brother's entering the Air Force and all of that. But yeah, like even her aunts who presumably she's not very close to because they live in Kentucky and she doesn't see them that much are way more frequently in contact even when they're just like silly little updates about going over to each other's houses for dinners and those letters were very endearing from the aunts because it's like someone's thinking of her and reaching out even if not the family that she wants to be thinking of her and reaching out all the time much like like Uncle Max and Aunt Sandy they are consistently there for her even though all she wants in the end is just her mom and dad and brother and sister to be the ones there for her and paying attention you do get a sense of like she does have more extended family members that are very supportive and love her and care that she feels supported and everything but yeah it was it was like sadder and sadder as the book goes on in terms of just the lack of attention and care from her family and how much she wants it and how much she excuses that she's not getting it. I think it also became more difficult because, or it became more difficult for me to read as the book went on because I could see that Uncle Max and Aunt Sandy were doing so many things to like try to make her feel special. Like at Christmas when they buy her all the stuff to, all the ski equipment Mm -hmm. and she hasn't really even learned to ski yet. Like this is just something new that she's exploring because it's part of the culture at this school and they go on these ski trips. 
like she's not really sure how to feel about it because nobody's ever given her this kind of a gift before. And we've all been in that situation to some degree. Oh, yeah. But she's embarrassed by it. And I don't know. I just I sort of my heart went out to Aunt Sandy and Uncle Max because they think that they're doing the right thing by making her feel special. I don't know. I have this whole like history of Aunt Sandy and Uncle Max in my head of like they wanted to have children and were never able to. And so Denny is like the substitute for the child that they couldn't have. And they just now want to shower her with affection. And so the contrast between that and her parents, not that like material gifts are the same as right. love and affection, but they also they're giving that too. That. Yeah, they're giving that too. And at the end of the book, they offer her a choice where she can either go back to the U.S. for the summer, and then they'll fly her back to Switzerland to start another school year, or she can go back home for the summer and stay. And we never find out what she decides to do. What do you think she does? I think and obviously would just really hope that she would go back like yeah that seems like so clearly the best for her and like she's getting this amazing life experience and amazing people around her and just yeah there's so many bloom abilities tie it all back in (laughs) beautiful but yeah it it is like you like that she gets to go home for the summer I think because she can go catch up with her family who she's missed so much and just has wanted to be with this whole time but maybe I don't know I I like to think maybe she would like realize a little more while she's home how great being away was for her and like can appreciate both her family for what they are when she's there but maybe also realize like okay maybe it's not best for me to stay with these people year-round and I should take advantage of like what I have while I have it and go back to this cool place with cool people and her aunt and uncle who clearly would be like thrilled if she came back to them, even though they're trying not to pressure her. There's this theme of rootedness in the book, which I guess also ties into boom ability because we kind of see Denny exploring like different ways to feel rooted at the beginning of the book. She of course feels rooted in her family, even though I think a lot of readers who were brought up differently might think that she had sort of like a rootless childhood because they were moving around so much yeah and then she's questioning where her mom comes from because they don't talk to her mom's side of the family her mom's mom disowned Denny's mom when she married Denny's dad and so ultimately at the end of the book like she reconnects with some of those roots she starts to get more rooted in her ancestors she gets roots with Uncle Max and Aunt Sandy she develops roots with her chosen family of other classmates when she's in Switzerland and so I think she's like playing with these different versions of what that feels like and what she likes best. And yeah, I agree. Like I hope when she goes home, she'll realize that it was really cool that she got to go abroad for a year and go to boarding school, but also be taken care of by her family. Yeah. It's like the best of of both worlds. Wow. I think that's what you're about to say. (laughs) Yeah. And then I'm going to sing the Hannah Montana song if we're not careful. So yeah. That's really the best way to close out a book discussion. I know. I really, I think I actually have, I know I have, uh, I've put listeners through a few <laughs> terrible singing performances and that might've been one of them, but on the whole, Caitlin, what was the experience of coming back to Bloomability after all these years like for you? Did it live up to your expectations or did it let you down? I think it surpassed expectations. Like I really, Ooh. I really loved it. I, I think just cause I, my expectations. I just didn't really know what to expect. It's been so long since I've read Sharon Creech or like much middle grade in general. I just thought it was 
like a a lot of fun like as a kid i would have just really loved and now like if you don't want to read deeper into anything you can appreciate it so much for just like a beautiful travel narrative and like adventure story it depicts switzerland so beautifully and like it's so fun to see the different just adventures and things she gets gets up to and it's so clear that like this is a place sharon creech has lived and spent a lot of time and cares about but also yeah there's so much to get out of it with the feelings of belonging or lack thereof and all the complicated family dynamics and like you were talking about the dreams the dream journal i also like ended up kind of skimming those but they were so like if you wanted to stop and appreciate them as we did not um they're so like poetic and clearly there's deeper meaning in every single one of them um that you can read a lot into and yeah it was it was both really fun and also really like heart wrenching heart warming in equal turns and make you think a lot but in ways that i was not like overwhelmed because it is just all presented very accessibly i think for young readers still and my young at heart brain yeah i had a very good time with it good well thank you again for choosing it for my own personal check off the SSR <laughs> wish list. Of course. Other than Bloomability, what have you been reading lately and loving that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I read primarily like 99% romance, probably adult and YA. So I'll give you like one of each. An adult romance that um, recently came out is Anita Kelly's uh, Something Wild and Wonderful. And it's a queer romance set. It's two hikers on the Pacific Crest Trail. And they're both dealing with different like personal journeys, but then end up, they're strangers when they meet. They end up hiking together though. Um, And it's this beautiful, soft, sweet love story, but it's also very funny. And it's got some fun, just outdoorsy adventure stuff happening, um, which is fun because I read it while I was working on my own outdoorsy adventure book uh, on the Appalachian Trail. So that was kind of a fun, yeah, it worked out nicely. I was like, Anita is actually a friend. And I was like, thank you for timing um, the release of this book so well for me personally. Yes, of course. Yeah. She was like, I planned it that way. Totally. Yes, that was the plan all along. But it was, it's really like one of the best books I've read this year for sure. Unbiased, even if she, Anita was not my friend. Oh, and also it does have like a kidlit kind of shout out because the main two characters are reading or one of them is reading and then they start reading it together Alana by Tamora Pierce and it's like a super important part of the plot um and both of their stories and it's really sweet so that was kind of cool because it's like yeah like directly related to this podcast returning to childhood favorites that meant a lot to them perfect so that's an adult one that I loved this year the other is a YA romance that comes out July. I believe it, com- it comes out this summer. And it's Give Me a Sign by Anna Sortino. And it's her debut. It's about uh, a girl named Lila, actually. But she's a much better Lila than the one in this book. Um, in I feel like of- Lila's are always mean. Like, it started <laughs> with Lila and Sweet Valley High. Lila's are, are difficult characters yeah. traditionally. So I'm all for a nice Lila. So this Lila's trying to change that perception of Lila's as a whole. Good for her. Yeah, no. Anna probably didn't know what pressure was on that name when she picked it. But (laughs) yeah, Lila is deaf but wears hearing aids. And so she is like 
feels very torn between not really fully part of the deaf community, not fully part of the hearing community, doesn't know, like she knows ASL, but not perfectly. And she gets to go be a junior counselor at this camp for deaf and blind kids for the summer. It kind of is like a story, like similar to this one. And it's like her search for belonging and like figuring out where she fits in with this space that is there's hearing people at the camp too who are counselors and who there's this like really annoying counselor who knows ASL but is a hearing person and but like thinks she's the ASL expert um and um but there's just like really cool interesting like educational but in a really like subtle way where you don't feel like you're reading some textbook or something I'm describing this book terribly, um, but really cool. You're selling me on it, so I don't think it's terrible at all. Yeah, no, it taught me a lot about deafness and, like, the deaf community and the experience of going to a camp like that where you are in community with people who have the same disability as you or slightly different ones, but all experience it differently and all – there's so many different, like – subsets of that um so she has that really like fascinating experience but it's also a romance and um her one of the other junior or i think he's just a counselor is like this really cute guy and he he speaks asl he doesn't wear hearing aids and so she's like learning asl and trying to communicate with him while she's super crushing on him and is like there's so much awkward miscommunications over different languages but also really sweet just fun summer romance yeah i loved it a really fun like world to be in i love summer camp books so that was a good time that sounds great have you read true biz no anna is also a friend actually but was telling me about true biz and how yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard good things. It's a great pairing. Yeah. I love that. But I read it last year and I know we have a lot of fans of True Biz in our audience. So it sounds like that would be a great book to pick up for the summer if you totally. enjoy True Biz. So go ahead and pre-order that or go buy it now if you're listening to this later in the summer. Yeah. And I've heard about like the True Biz audiobook does really interesting things with different ways of doing audio and depicting ASL that way. And I think Anna's audiobook recordings, they're playing with some of that same stuff in really interesting ways. I'm excited to listen to the audiobook version. Amazing. Well, thank you for those great recs. I will include links to those in the show notes for this episode. And we do have to talk about your latest book that's out in the world right now. It's called Not Here to Stay Friends. What can you tell us about it? I love the title, by the way. Thank you. Um, I was very proud of that title. It is my YA romance reality dating show book. So the dream, all yes. music to my ears. Yeah. <laughs> it's like totally just, I don't know, kind of like my fever dream of a book that I did not think I was going to get away with a lot of the things that I did with this book and somehow did. So it's, it's fun. It's weird, but it's just this, it's a friends to lovers romance. This girl goes to reunite with her best friend who they've lived across the country from each other for a few years. And um, he's in LA and his dad is a TV producer. So she's expecting to just go hang out with him for the summer and have a good time, but gets there and finds out that his dad is producing this reality dating show starring a teen actor who's the star of Sloan, the main character's like favorite teen drama of all time. And the dating show is like a spinoff of that. That's the reality dating version. They're trying to pair up the lead actor with a normal girl mm. and Liam her best friend is working as a PA on his dad's show 
and Sloan at the last minute gets roped into being a contestant. So then, yeah, she's doing all this wild dating show stuff as one does. It's very Bachelor-ish slash Love Island. You're like, oh, I watch all the dating shows, so it's a lot of things from those. Oh, I love Love Island. Yeah, and and it's also very teen drama, like One Tree Hill, The O.C., all of that. And also, her best friend is behind the scenes, and they're both kind of realizing that maybe they have more than friend feelings for each other. It all plays out in ways that I think are fun and I hope everyone likes it. It's It's been really fun the past month-ish getting to have that out in the world and get people's thoughts. It's It's been fun so far. Well, congratulations on it. You've sold three books to me today. So um, good. you've done a great job. <laughs> You're a really good book talker. And I know that a lot of our listeners will feel the same way. So thank you for sharing about your work and some of your favorite reads recently. And thank you for talking with me about Bloomability. This was great. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I've been super excited to be on this podcast because I am a, a casual listener. Haven't gotten to every episode ever, but I love it and was just listening to your episode with Meg Cabot yesterday and was like, Ugh. how on earth am I about to be on a podcast that Meg Cabot was on? <laughs> I mean, I feel like how am I on earth? Like how am I on a podcast that Meg Cabot was yeah. on? So I fully relate. Um, I stayed much calmer than I expected to. You were so chill. <laughs> I didn't feel chill. Uh, but I'm glad that you're a listener. I'm glad you enjoy the show. Don't go back too far just because like, I'm not convinced <laughs> that those episodes are any good. Although people say that it's it's much better than I might expect. But I'm glad that you enjoy listening. Um, and we're happy to have you in the community both as a listener and now as a guest. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. I've had a great time. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.